You may be seated. Oh, I think the angels in heaven were singing with you on that one. <laughs> Very good, congregation. Very good. <laughs> Mark chapter 11. Verses 20 through 26. Listen carefully the holy word of God as we continue in the narrative that Mark is presenting concerning our Savior. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for the blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are told here about an incredible transition that we in our faith must embrace. We ask, O oh God, that you would awaken in us a faith that truly believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we understand how to pray and to forgive in his kingdom, in his church. In Christ's name, amen. Is your life bearing fruit? Or do you feel that you are just merely existing? Does your life seem stale? Are you just living day to day? Are you just so apathetic to the drudgery of each day? Each day is a bore. You are overcome with terrible mood changes during the day, and you feel absolutely lifeless. Everything is so routine. Where is the excitement and the joy of life? Perhaps you feel that life is so overwhelming 
I just cannot accomplish all that seems to address me each day. Life is filled with numerous problem-solving issues. Time, instead of being a friend, is an enemy. Well, if we have hit in any way a nerve in your life with what I have just placed before you, then listen carefully to where Christ is directing your life in our text. Let me warn you. (laughs) He is going to press his disciples and all those who follow him into a realm where you are not the center of attention. He is going to press you to think of what, is tru- what it truly means that he has brought the new covenant to triumph over the self-centered lies of barrenness in the old covenant. Let the Holy Spirit this morning sink his presence into your heart with action that living in Christ means a life of self-denial because life under the new covenant will mean a vital, a vital and productive life united with Christ and with your fellow believers in the church. So where is the word of Christ directing our lives? Where is it directing your life? Again, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to act? Well, let us be reminded. Mark is presenting Christ in motion throughout his gospel. As he enters, remember the dual aspect here, as he enters Jerusalem and the temple, Mark presents him in an evolving rotation. The temple, 1111. The fig tree, chapter 11, verses 12 through 14. Back to the temple, 11, 15 through 19. The withered fig tree is countered by faith. Our text this morning, 20 through 26. And then back to the temple. Verse 27 through chapter 12, verse 12. If you remain in the pattern of evolving rotation of the next chiastic pattern, we note the following. Christ curses the fig tree. Verses 12 through 14. Christ enters the temple and he erupts in righteous anger. Verses 15 through 19. Then Christ's interpretation of the withered fig tree is countered by faith. Our text this morning, 20 through 26. Remember the middle of the chiasm is the key to understanding what is happening. In this case, Christ's righteous anger against apostate religious practices in the temple. As Christ clearly declared, the Jewish leadership and the people turned the central, sacred 
religious institution and practices into a barren den of robbers instead of a thriving, thriving house of prayer. Christ's contrast between the den of robbers and the house of prayer was overheard by the chief priests and the scribes. And they understood that his comments was directed towards them. And thus they sought to destroy him. However, on this particular day, they held back because the crowd was astonished with his teaching. Even so, we do not want to miss the flow of Mark's narrative. Hence, Christ's disrupting action of judgment. His disrupting action of judgment in the temple is the key to understand Christ's interaction here with Peter and the disciples as our Redeemer counters the withered tree with a life of faith in him. A life of faith in him. As our text begins, Christ and the disciples on the next morning pass by the fig tree as they make their way back to Jerusalem. Christ's miracle of judgment upon the fig tree points us to the apostasy and barrenness of the false religion now existing in Israel from the Jewish leadership to the everyday Israelite. The tree has withered away to its roots. No one will eat of its fruit again. Israel's self-imposed deterioration, destruction of the sanctity of Old Testament religion is dead, is dead. Nutrients from the ground cannot revive that tree. It must be entirely, entirely replaced with the true religion designed and orchestrated by the triune God that has continuity with the true religion of the Old Testament, which points to our need to be ransomed by the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. Only Christ is the resolution for our union with Adam's sin. Nothing in the temple that Christ disrupts has anything to do with the true purpose of the temple. Think about that. And what was the true purpose of the temple? It was set up by God's design to point Israel's entire worship to the centrality of redemption in Christ. Instead, they made it into a corrupt den of robbers. Well, Peter remembers the tree. He addresses Christ with the term rabbi, 
This time he uses the term that means a personal, a personal teacher of the Scripture. He does not use the term that means just merely a teacher. Remember, that was the confession of Bartimaeus when he saw Christ. He used that personal use of the term rabbi. Peter may be starting to grow a little bit. The tree has caught Peter's attention because he knew Christ cursed it with the words that no one will ever eat fruit from it again, back in verse 14. What Christ prophesied about the tree will truly come to pass. It is withered all the way to its roots. Yes, indeed, this is a great example of the seed falling upon rocky ground in the parable of the sower. Israel had the word of God directly given to it in the Old Testament under the covenant of grace. She had times of immediately springing up, but it never had much soil. So when the sun rose, it scorched her since she had no root and withered away. Remember that? From Christ, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Oh, yes. Remember part of our theme here of understanding where Mark is going. Judgment begins with the household of God. Well, Christ immediately responds to Peter and the disciples. Have faith in God. Verse 20, have faith in God. Christ is vividly bringing to the disciples' tension what life and worship in the temple is to look like as the Old Testament church and covenant transitions to the New Testament church and covenant. There is only one place where this transition can be effectual. There is only one place where this transition can be realized. It is in Jesus Christ. In his arrival in history, bringing the messianic promise and the kingdom of God to its fulfillment as the good news of the gospel is showered upon the ears of those who hear the preaching and the teaching of Jesus. Do not forget, congregation, do not forget the continuity of the true religion from the Old Testament to the New Testament is one covenant. One covenant. The covenant of promise and grace in Christ. Hence, the contrast to the withered fig tree is faith. Is faith in God's oath and vow who faithfully moves the old covenant 
into the fulfillment of the new covenant. How is such faith expressed? What is the faith that Christ is talking about here? What is he underlining? What must spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, worked faith in you, in the disciples, the church, to see, hear, and understand in your very heart? Herein Christ addresses the kind of faith that the disciples and, the, and those who are the apostles here as disciples will face and will talk about and preach to the church. And also that the church itself, all of us, must embrace. Please notice, congregation, it is not a sentimental syrupy faith. Rather, it is a personal faith shared with the body of Christ, the church, a faith that is shared with each one of us who believe in their heart and confess with their lips, saying, saying, listen to Christ's words here, to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Verse 23. That's Christ's definition of faith here. Have you ever defined faith that way? That's his understanding. Are you listening to these words from Christ and saying to yourself this morning, I don't have such faith. I don't have such faith. <laughs> yes, I doubt. Doubt characterizes my faith so much that I can't say, I cannot say to a mountain, move and be casted into the sea. I guess I must face that my faith is weak and tainted like all believers. I assume none of you have ever done that yourself. And you've looked at this passage in a sense, I have never done that. I never have known a Christian who has had this type of faith. I confess that this was my viewpoint I took concerning these very words of the Lord Jesus Christ here in our text this morning. But perhaps that has been your viewpoint as well when you look at this text. But let me tell you this morning, that viewpoint that dominated my life in terms of interpreting this text and maybe your life is absolutely wrong. 
is absolutely wrong. To understand Christ's precious words here, you must stay in the context of what is going on here in the flow of Mark's Mark's addition of Jesus' activity. Christ refers to this mountain. Notice that. Don't miss it. He refers to this mountain. He is referring to a specific mountain in the text within the sight of the disciples, his disciples. Carefully listen. There are two possible mountains that Jesus is referencing here within the location of Christ's words. Those two mountains are the Mount of Olives or the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount. What is known as the Temple Mount. The temple is built upon a mount in Jerusalem to make vivid the imagery of the temple's relationship to Old Testament revelation and Zion. In Christ's present activity, Christ is reacting in the context here, in judgment against the temple mount. While on the other hand, he finds a positive retreat in terms of contrast to the Mount of Olives. Hence, in the context, it becomes obvious that the Temple Mount is the mount that Christ is referencing here. True faith, please listen, turns to the text where Jesus is. True faith will join itself to Christ in rejecting the apostasy and barrenness of Israel's practices of worship on the Temple Mount and will throw it into the sea in remembrance of Christ's action of casting out legion into the pigs and directing them into the sea to drown, back in 5.13. Are you grasping it? Are your eyes, ears, and understanding penetrating Christ's words here about faith? We can say that Christ's words here is Mark's addition. Mark's addition of being born again. Quite different than John 3, isn't it? Quite different. Being born again is embracing Christ alone as the one who has ushered in a new era in the history of redemption. In this case, doubt cannot exist with respect to faith 
and the human heart. Why? Because true faith embraces and rests upon Christ alone as the one who has ushered in the final eschatological eternal age to come, which Christ has referenced prior to this text when talking about discipleship. To reject that, to reject that, to doubt that Christ has ushered in the eternal age to come means that you do not know and understand the coming of Christ. Simply, you do not have faith in Christ. You cannot say you believe in Jesus and yet deny and doubt that Christ has ushered in the kingdom of God, the era of the good news of the gospel. Oh, how beautiful, how glorious this is. Christ is picking up on the fulfillment of Isaiah and applying it to the personal, to a personal living faith of every true believer in Christ's church. This kind of faith in God follows and commits one's life to Christ as the way for everlasting and eternal redemption. And what is the way prophesied gloriously by Isaiah? It is a key to the entire Mark's gospel. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Are you ready? Are you ready? And every mountain and hill be made the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places I plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In Christ's congregation, your faith embraces this truth with all your heart soul and mind. You have faith that does not doubt that the barren apostate temple has been cast into the sea. There is no doubt in your faith that you know that you are united to Christ's action of casting, of casting the temple mount into the sea on Calvary as your life is elevated into the eternal heavenly temple sanctuary of Christ in heaven. Did you get all that?
As I said, as it's been for me going over this, I've never thought of faith in this way. It comes from Christ. He's telling the disciples, have faith. It's an imperative. And you don't miss the context of his comment. The new covenant, the new temple, the new sanctuary is here. Do you doubt that? If you do, you don't have faith in Jesus. Now, (laughs) are you ready for being a person of faith? Do you want to be a person of faith who does not pray in the den of robbers? But prays in the house of prayer? Again, the prayer that Christ is speaking about here is a prayer in faith connected to the final eschatological priest, high priest Jesus Christ, who intercedes perfectly for our prayers from his throne and sanctuary in heaven. As those who are from all the nations, Christ had said previously, you enter into such a holy place in your prayers when you are in Christ. We pray in a spirit that focuses our requests upon the, note, eternal significance of the age of redemption and the kingdom that he has brought. Any prayer that you and the church ask being rooted, please note this, being rooted in terms of understanding his comments here, being rooted in the eternal glory of Christ in his church, will be received. Again, understand Christ is referencing the prayers of faith that solidify the fulfillment of the benefits of the covenant of grace found in Christ's person. That is, let me give you some examples here. If you pray here, listen, in true repentance, true repentance and faith for being redeemed from sin, it is yours. It is yours. If you pray in true repentance and faith to be adopted in Christ out of darkness into the light of the gospel, it is yours. If you pray in true repentance and faith 
that you will be sanctified in the righteousness of Christ's holiness. It is yours. Christ is not speaking here of a prayer life that is rewarded with selfish prayers that are absent of Christ's eternal glory. He is speaking of praying in accordance with the eternal glory of the will of God revealed in his word. One more example, which all of you know. Praying for the true church of Christ to persevere against the kingdom of Satan will truly occur. It is impossible for such a prayer prayer, not to come to pass. And characteristic of the prayers of faith in Christ's church and kingdom is forgiveness, Christ says, is forgiveness. What does that house of prayer look like? What does our house of prayer look like here? It is a kingdom, a church that prays for forgiveness. There is no entrance into Christ's body of believers in the eternal age to come without repentance for one's sin and the receiving of Jesus Christ as the Savior from punishment and judgment for sin. No more sacrifices, congregation, brought under the umbrella of robbery, which defies the sacred system, the sanctified system of the covenant God made with the priestly line of Levi. No, the new age has dawned where forgiveness, forgiveness is secured. Not on the Temple Mount, but outside the city, on Calvary, where Christ's blood washes those who truly believe in him from sin. As such, since forgiveness is so freely given to us as a free gift that we do not deserve, we are within a, the new house of prayer. And thus, we are to forgive if we have anything against another. After all, the list I can make about my sins can be a mile long against God, and yet he has forgiven me in Christ. Thus, believers in Christ, as long as we live in the eternal age to come, we must forgive so that your Father in heaven will forgive our sins. Notice the order here in terms of Christ's statement in verse 26. Yes, the Bible teaches that God first forgave us and thus we forgive one another. But Christ places this order before us here because Christ is addressing how all of us in Christ's church must act in respect to living true faith out of forgiveness with each other. 
well. Is your Christian life bearing fruit? Or do you feel you are just merely existing? Does your life seem stale? Everything is so routine? Where is the excitement and joy of life? Well, let me exhort you to turn your life away away from yourself to the assured eternal blessings you have in Christ's house, the heavenly sanctuary where your heavenly priest Jesus Christ grants your prayers offered in submission to the eternal glory of Christ and the church to be accomplished. Yes, we pray here in this congregation for healing from illness, which the Lord may graciously grant. We have seen in this congregation from the prayers offered by this congregation, incredible, at least for the three years I've been here, incredible responses to physical illnesses. However, we know that our prayers cannot overcome the curse of the fall into sin. We will all die. But the prayer we offer in terms of the true, of the spirit of true repentance and life in eternal life cannot be denied. Herein we have moved beyond the curse of the fall, secured by the blood of the Lamb into the glorified and resurrected accomplishment of Christ for us. Thus our eyes of faith are upon each other as a unified body of forgiveness for each other. This is life, not overwhelmed with self and this world. Indeed, if you truly address the meaning of life at the depth of your soul, here lies the source of excitement and joy of being in Christ, of being a Christian. It is living out of the love for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as well as for each other. We live the eternal into the earthly right now in this church. Do you? Do we? Let's pray for help. The eternal majesty of Christ our Savior is before us. 
He's praying for us in terms of our heavenly existence, for those who have faith in him, who have repented of their sin and rest upon him alone for their redemption. We need your help, O Lord, through thy spirit to live out of the glory of heaven itself. How Christ himself prays for us each and every moment. Forgiveness for our sins. Thus, O Lord, place on our hearts the compelling spirit to ask for forgiveness in his name and also how we forgive and love each other in the church of Christ. In Christ's name, amen.